trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. By the way, a very special welcome to my listeners in southern Utah. Now catching my show every weekday afternoon between noon and 2 p.m. on 1450 a.m. and 93.1 FM in St. George. It's my old stomping grounds and I'm, I'm very happy to be back on the air in, in that locale. I appreciate each and every one of you who uh, will at least give me a chance. Now, some of you know me, some of you don't. You're going to hear things about me. I promise that. <laughs> don't believe everything you hear. I would ask you, uh, you know, suss it out for yourself. See if, if I'm really as, as uh, crazy as, as some would say, or not as firm as, as others might say. Nonetheless, very happy to, uh, to have you aboard. Lots to talk about today. This is a place where I encourage people to come and gather to revel in wrong think. In fact, to that end, I have compiled a very special uh, part of my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. It's called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And all this is is a, a growing collection of different news aggregator sites and different places that I go throughout the course of a day when I'm trying to find good, solid, credible information by which I can better understand the world around me. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that I read is going to be written in stone and it's it's the truth. Um most of these are chosen because they're very well sourced. They're nonpartisan. They are non-sensationalized, which unfortunately is a problem that seems to afflict a lot of the information that we get today. Uh, you know, sensationalism sells, and that's what gets people to pay attention. But if, if you're looking for a reality-based take on what's going on, these resources for wrong thinkers are a great place to start. In fact, you'll find a lot of them you can subscribe to so that you can actually get to weekly emails or several times a week emails with different stories from different writers and a nice broad perspective of what's happening. And just in case you hadn't noticed, there's a lot happening that uh, we've got to pay attention to. I wanted to start with, uh, with a question, and that is, do you ever find yourself wondering if there is a concerted effort to mess with our minds. In other words, is somebody doing this on purpose? Now, I'll let you answer that question for yourself, but there's an amazing article on mass psychology. This is from Robert E. Wright, published on the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org. It's titled More from Mirlo on Mass Psychology. And he talks about how in May of this year, AIER contributor Barry Brownstein, who, by the way, is an excellent, excellent source of information. He wrote an article called Big Brother Depends on Little Brother. And Robert Wright says it was Barry who introduced him to Just Mirlo's post-war classic, The Rape of the Mind, The Psychology of Thought Control, Menticide, and Brainwashing. This was published, by the way, back in 1956. Brownstein masterfully weaves Mirlo's insights into a compelling narrative describing how people, even 21st century Americans, can be brainwashed into believing and repeating all kinds of crazy, well, here's the word he comes up with, dismissinfoganda. 
He says, judge not the crazed twit book troll because he knows not what he do he does. Instead of training the troll to drool like Pavlov's dog in response to the dinner bell, the master has trained the troll to make vicious ad hominem attacks in response to trigger words. You know, words like founders, liberty, Trump. <laughs> That seems to be true. And while this book begins with vivid descriptions of physical torture techniques, like the ones described in Arthur Kessler's Darkness at Noon, Mirlo, a Dutch psychiatrist who fled Nazi Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, also discusses less costly or drastic ways to impregnate people's minds with totalitarian lies, even about themselves. Brownstein touches on some in his excellent piece, which, by the way, is linked in that article. But others related to COVID lockdown policies and cancel culture became salient during Robert E. Wright's recent reading. He says, together they reveal a detailed playbook of mass psychological manipulation that looks all too familiar today. So I want to walk you through. There's about 13 of these uh, these points. And... I don't want to beat you over the head with it because this is something you, you have to make up for yourself. Is this real? Does this does this pass the sniff test? But I ask you to consider this and just, just ask yourself. Does that seem familiar? Does it seem like, oh yeah, I, I've you know, I can think of instances where I've encountered exactly this. So for instance, the very first aspect of psychological manipulation is to isolate. Now Mirlo said the conditioned reflex could be developed most easily in a quiet laboratory with a minimum of disturbing stimuli. They know that they can condition their political victims most quickly if they are kept in isolation. So bringing people into laboratories for re-education would be so conspicuous that maybe even a few of the infamous uh, AWOL libertarians would have protested. So instead, people were urged, or in some cases even forced, to isolate themselves from others even after it became clear very early in the pandemic that lockdowns did not work to stop the spread of the novel coronavirus. This is the reason, Mirlo explained, the civilian populations of the totalitarian countries are not permitted to travel freely and are kept away from mental and political contamination. Think about uh, North Korea, for instance. Feelings of being alone must be instilled, he noted, to prepare the mind for the taming process. For, in other words, unthinking submission to the master's will. Not enough attention, he said, has been given to the psychology of loneliness, especially to the implications of enforced isolation. Social intercourse, daily nourishment for our senses and minds, and without that nourishment, which humans need even more than bread, most people soon slip into neurosis or even psychosis. Now, when I read that, the first thing I thought about was I, I realized... My mom, who is 86 years old and has spent uh, the last, uh, the better part of the last 30 years by herself, she, uh, she only has, in, in some cases, the, the news for keeping her company. And what do you suppose the news is hyping to her around the clock? Fear, fear, cases, COVID, oh, breakthrough infections. Oh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's nothing but panic. And they even highlight it, you know, the, the graphics that show, well, here's the number of cases. Ooh, look, it's in blood red. <laughs> what kind of message does that send? So it's not surprising. She's isolated 
And this is, I think, true of a lot of uh, older folks who, you know, don't get around as well as they used to or consider themselves at risk. And I think in some cases, rightly so. So they isolate, you know, keep away from everybody. They don't want to take chances of, of catching, you know, COVID. But pretty soon, after being bombarded by all of those scary stories, what do you think the number one focus in their life is? You know, I, I see my mom on a pretty regular basis. I talk to her on the phone multiple times each week. And I guarantee you, when I ask her, how are things going? I get a, I get a report on who's sick with COVID and who's on a ventilator and who's died. And, oh, isn't it terrible? And, you know, I'm just, it, it makes me sad and it makes me angry. Not because there's, there's not reason to be concerned. There are people who I think definitely are at risk. But I'm sad that, to, that so much of what she sees has that fear. And I'm sure I'm not the only person who's noticed this, at least with, with you know, your loved ones. So how do you counter something like that? In fact, let me, st- let me take it outside the realm of, of, you know, elderly being isolated and, you know, having to have holidays and birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, forego family get-togethers. That's one thing. I think the loneliness and the isolation that most of us feel, though, probably comes down to what we are experiencing when uh, when you go on social media or even when you encounter people in public. If you hold a contrary point of view, and I'm just going to just say, for instance, let's say that you're not down with wearing masks or maybe you're not down to receive the vaccine, just, you know, hypothetically. Probably feels pretty lonely right now. There's a lot of pressure being brought it's very clear you're out of step with the majority right so with that isolation it's a lot easier to to slowly maneuver you to the fringes of society and who knows maybe even push you completely out of polite society see that's the kind of stuff that i see and i think hmm how do you uh how do you counter something like that well i can tell you this what i'm doing right now is part of uh, is part of that effort to first of all reassure people if you are engaging in wrong thinking. In other words, if you're challenging the the um, dominant narrative, you're not alone. You may feel that way from time to time, but there are like-minded souls and there are people who value the same things that you do. So you're not alone. That's for starters. When we come back, we'll talk about some of these other manipulation techniques that are being used that you will likely recognize taking place today in relation to all the uh, sickness panic. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. As I mentioned in the first segment, you are not alone. And as I uh, move on into a few more of these, uh, these techniques of manipulating people psychologically, this is from an article from Robert E. Wright published in the American Institute for Economic Research website. I hope you recognize these things. and I want to take just a moment here and just give a quick shout-out to the sponsors of my show. These are the folks who help make it possible by keeping me on the air, keeping the wolf away from my door, 
They include the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also MonticelloCollege.org, and LifesavingFood.com. Now, I hope you'll click on that LifesavingFood.com link because you're going to find a whole variety of different ways that you can fill in any gaps in your food storage or get started if you're finally getting around to that sort of thing. You'll find that uh, there are packages that can fit any budget, and I mean any budget. We're talking food with a 25-year shelf life. And the best part, when you get to check out, if you'll put in my last name, H-Y-D-E, put HIDE as the coupon code, they'll take 10% off the cost of your order. Pretty sweet deal. So let's go back to this article from Robert E. Wright. Ways that people are psychologically manipulated. This is from a book written by a Dutch, a Dutch psychiatrist named Joost Mirlo, The Rape of the Mind, The Psychology of Thought Control, Menticide, and Brainwashing. Isolation was the first one. Here's the second one. Oh, I'm sure you haven't seen this. Play the guilt card. Robert E. Wright says most people, Freudians like uh, Mirlo, believed are imbued with a deep sense of guilt about wanting to kill or fornicate with their parents or others. Major religions tap humanity's deep-seated sense of original sin, and so, too, do authoritarians. Continual purges and confessions turn the masters into parent or even godlike figures, in other words, forces to be obeyed. And in this view, cancel culture's not social media silliness, but rather the weaponization of innate human guilt. Repent, ye sinner or apostate, or else. Number three, reward and punish. People, like animals, Mirlo explained, learn their lessons more quickly if rewarded by affection, by food, by stroking, after doing as the master commands and punished for inaction or disobedience. Governments used food, blame, and praise during the pandemic to punish the brash and to reward the compliant. In fact, he brings to mind Joe Biden's ham-handed attempt to induce Americans to mask and vaccinate with the promise of allowing outdoor barbecues on Independence Day. He says, recall also that cities and states shuttered restaurants to punish residents for testing positive for COVID. So in that case, authorities indeed followed the science, the science of Pavlovian conditioning. Number four, mind rape the most vulnerable first. Robert Wright says, while Mirlo made clear that every human being can be forced to suffer, their minds need to be penetrated with totalitarian falsehoods. There are people more amenable to brainwashing than others. Some retain the training for the rest of their lives, while others unlearn the behaviors or thoughts quickly. Following Pavlov, Mirlo hypothesized that innate differences or earlier conditioning to conformity may be responsible for the variation. Number five, make the most of the messenger. Now, Robert E. writes, is my conditioned response to seeing Dr. Fauci is violent vomiting. Many Americans, however, respond to him in a positive way. Mirlo noted that there are some persons who can create such immediate rapport with others that the latter will soon give up many old habits and ways of life to conform with new demands. Remarkable, but true. I think I was having the conversation with uh, my dear old gray-haired mama the other day about Dr. Fauci. And I just said, you know, I don't trust a thing that guy says. And her response was, well, I think he's trying to do his best and trying to help keep us safe. And I thought, wow. It's, it would be a real stretch for me to believe 
that uh, Dr. Fauci or any bureaucrat for that matter really in their heart believes that we're just I'm just trying I'm just concerned about your health. I just want to make sure that you're okay. It just seems to me it's so much more about power. Number six, repeat, repeat, repeat. Robert Wright says to insert his own message, the master must often erase previous conditioning. And Mirlo claimed this is best done through boredom and repetition, which arouses the need to give in and to yield to the provoking words of the master. What better way to bore people into submission? than lockdowns and a constant barrage of banal, patently false messages like, we're all in this together. Number seven, engage in serious wordplay. Mirlo noted that words like traitor promote, promote, or rather provoke r- negative conditioned feelings even when they're replied dishonestly. Everybody hates America now, so that word had to be replaced with armed insurrectionist and racist in order to stimulate the desired effect 2020-2021. He says when objectively racist behaviors and armed insurrectionists can't be found, well, then they have to be concocted for mostly peaceful protests, ropes that sort of resemble nooses for Keebler elves, uh, for slang words for home runs or mascots that end in the same syllable as the N-word. By raping language, Mirlo warned, a leader can become a master of the mind. Yeah, tell me, have you seen anything like that happen? Number eight, promote other directedness. Now, Mirlo warned about masters conditioning people to ask, what do other people think instead of what is right? This is finding safety in the herd, if, if you get my drift. Robert Wright says, as I pointed out last year in an article called The Desperate Loneliness of Social Media, other directed personalities seek approval and applause rather than respect, and hence readily abuse social media in order to feel well-liked because their likes or followers or friends appear to be legion, even though they're cheap, trite, ephemeral signals at best. Other directed personalities undermine democracy by backing the most popular candidates for office rather than the best ones. We've got to fight for somebody who can be elected. Sorry, Ron Paul. They also undermine rationality, allowing the creation of a common delusion. Interestingly, while Mirlo was critical of Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, he often calls out Red China for trying to catch people like rabbits by the ears. Number nine, they use every available communication medium. Now, Mirlo also noted that successful masters like the Chinese Communist Party used every means of communication possible to get their mind-numbing messaging into the consciousness of their victims. The Nazis even went so far as to paint their slogans on the stoops of the houses and in the streets, much as BLM backers did in 2020. The Dutch were able to resist seduction by Nazi oversimplifications and slogans, Mirlo suggested, because they could hear saner voices from London via radio. Number 10, eliminate logic and open discussion. Perhaps the most powerful tool of the totalitarian is to destroy or to deny logic so as to induce a state of confusion, the state in which nothing had any validity. That's why 2 plus 2 equals 4 has suddenly become racist. Oh, you think I'm kidding? He's, he's got a link to the story here. And it's also why our putative masters repeat ad nauseum that we must wear masks even though they hurt more than they help. And it's also why censorship, even of medical doctors, has grown so quickly since 2020. 
they also leverage the urge to conform. Now, he didn't quite call people or humans sheeple or, you know, you know, but he, he came close. In the whole animal kingdom, Mirlo pointed out, humans are one of the most helpless and naked beings. He remains like a monkey fetus. He never grows into the mature, hairy, fully covered state. In other words, people remain in a persistent fetal state, dependent on maternal care and paternal teaching and conditioning, so they remain in a retarded state and never-ending social dependency. In other words, easy pickings for masters like Mussolini, Himmler, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao, Stalin, Castro, Jong-un, Jinping, and probably some names that we'll be adding from our own history books very shortly. Got to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Still working on this article here from Robert E. Wright from the American Institute for Economic Research. He's talking about a uh, psychiatrist from the Netherlands, Joost Mirlo, who wrote a book about what was called mind rape. Now, that's a harsh term, right? I mean, to, to compare, you know, messing with somebody's mind to rape, that's, that's kind of an extreme bit of language. But I don't think it's being misapplied. I don't think this is hyperbole. And so we're working through 13 manipulation techniques which uh, the Nazis used, this is, this is pertinent because the book was published back in the 1950s, Mirlo escaped the Nazi occupation forces in the Netherlands and, and saw firsthand, with his own eyes, what they would do to try to control the people. Okay, that's just one totalitarian regime. But the tactics translated very well into other totalitarian regimes. And, and actually, we're seeing a lot of them come up today. What should that tell us about the direction that we're going? No, we may not be goose-stepping around and hanging big red, white, and black banners everywhere. But the direction we're going is what's important. And this is why we need to be aware and, and not fall prey to these manipulation techniques. This is a big one. Number 12, push drugs whenever necessary. Robert Wright says, despite all the, the other manipulation techniques, he says humans love freedom and simple doses of laughter or love can break that totalitarian mind bending, which explains why many formerly funny comedians are now so banal and boring. A good way to keep people focused on totalitarian messaging and distracted from love and laughter is to encourage them to get high or low. Any altered mental state, Mirlo wrote, will help the master to hypnotize victims. He said the alcoholic has no mental backbone, backbone rather, anymore when you give him his drink. The same is true for the chronic user of sedatives and other pills, and those other pills abound. Acid, black tar, bliss, booze, buttons, cactus, candy, chill pills, Cody, Coke, crank, crack, downers, fungus, goop, happy pills, Jackpot, juice, okay, the list goes on and on. Whatever it is, it's all good. Good for controlling people's minds, a la Aldous Huxley's Brave New Soma. So if you think that supply constraints or decreased demand, decreased drug addiction during the lockdowns, think again. 
There's a reason overdoses were definitely much, much higher over the last 18 months. And there are a lot of people right now self-medicating, trying to deal with the increasing stress of a world that uh, that forces them into cognitive dissonance and just the sense that everything is, is tipped on its side right now on a daily basis. Number 13, this is the final one he mentions. It's induce fear. And Robert Wright reminds us in the darkest days of the Depression, President Roosevelt famously told the American people they had nothing to fear but fear itself. That was a lie. Because they should also fear government and its, cro- its corporate cronies trying to manipulate them in- with fear. Now, perhaps the most interesting of Mirlo's claims, which build on Eric Fromm's book, uh, Escape from Freedom, Fear of Freedom, is that people no longer fear death so much as they fear living a real life. Stepping out of a relatively safe childish dependence into freedom and responsibility, he noted, is both hazardous and dangerous. And that makes individuals vulnerable to paternalistic policies and politicians purporting to protect them from life's many challenges. Now, although fear sometimes leads to anxiety and panic, it can also induce indifference and apathy. All reactions suggest a need for a strong leader who can protect people from the enemy, be it a virus, global climate change, terrorists, or commies. Robert E. Wright says, you know, things could be worse, though. Our putative masters have not yet systematically tried to deny people sleep or employed other forms of physical torture, perhaps because such techniques would be too obvious or maybe too costly to employ. So America's not yet what Mirlo called totalitaria, his hypothetical dystopia where political ideas degenerate into senseless formulations made only for propaganda purposes. It is any country in which a single group, left or right, acquires absolute power. Any country in which disagreement and differences of opinions are crimes, in which utter conformity is the price of life, but he says it is much closer today than it was in February of 2020. In sum, Mirlo's book, Rape, cannot inoculate readers from totalitarian mind control. But what it can do is expose the grooming techniques employed by those who would be their masters. It also reminds all of us of the crucial importance of the Bill of Rights, and other constitutional checks and balances. Now, one would think that the leaders of an actual democracy would not only maintain the secrecy of ballots, but also do everything in their power to prevent anyone or anything, foreign or domestic, from turning its citizens into mindless automatons, insect-like followers, or childish adults fragile enough to be frightened into illness by cable news tickers. Having clearly failed to maintain the basic prerequisites of self-governance, their only job, really. All of America's political leaders really should join Andrew Cuomo in stepping aside to make room for more intelligent and learned and less power-mad policymakers. We'll actually talk about that here in just a moment. Pretty crazy stuff, don't you think? In fact, uh, let's let's jump ahead. Let's let's talk to. I was I was gonna I was gonna pick this up here in the next segment, but um, just an example that's pretty close to home for me. So last, uh, the last couple of weeks, there was a great deal of talk with back to school about back to school mask mandates. And I know there were an intense number of parents within the Salt Lake City school districts who came forward to their school boards and said, do not impose mask mandates. Well, just last week, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall took it upon herself to declare an emergency 
Yes, a COVID-19 emergency. Apparently, she was the only one who noticed, and thank goodness. Otherwise, we wouldn't have noticed. There's a pandemic going on. All right, sarcasm off. But the reason she declared that emergency was because that way she could claim powers to issue a mandate to require every student in K-12 through schools in her city to wear masks. Now, remember, that's after the local school board specifically voted not to impose such a mandate after intense pressure from parents. And, of course, there were people who cheer it. Oh, this is such a brave thing. I'm so happy she did this. Oh, so she cares about the children. She cares about us. And, see, I look at that and I go, no, she cares about power. And it, and likely recognizes that uh, her power, she was one of the, the most uh, adamant imposers of mandates during the last year and a half. And she's afraid maybe that's slipping away from her. So here's the question that you have to ask. That defiant move by this brave mayor of Salt Lake City. Does she have the authority to do this? To answer that question, I turned to Connor Boyack from Libertas Institute, who uh, just just recently published a very good op-ed on this and talked about the, why this this mandate from Mayor Mendenhall is on very shaky legal ground. And Connor brings up that earlier this year in Utah, their legislature enacted a new law designed to substantially restrict the ability of local officers, including health departments, from issuing orders that restricted people's rights. Now, because these health departments are at the county level, that's where orders were previously being issued. That's where the legislature focused their restrictions. But now you have Mayor Aaron Mendenhall thinking, well, this county-based focus is what allows her, as a city mayor, to have some wiggle room and maybe proceed to issue her own mandate for school children. But Connor points out, yet awkwardly, her own legal framework analysis makes clear what the problem with her order is. After a mayor declares a local emergency, the document explains that the mayor may exercise emergency authority, which includes utilizing all available resources of the city and employing measures and giving direction to local officers and agencies in order to help respond to the disaster. In other words, her own legal justification makes clear that she lacks the authority to control people's behavior. Declarations of emergency are designed to unlock government resources and allow executive officers to dictate actions to government officials in order to respond to the temporary threat. Conversely, Connor points out such authority is not intended to allow a mayor to decree on her own that all people living within her jurisdiction must be restricted rather, and behave as she demands. And he says this is further evidenced by the fact that state law refers to an order of constraint that broadly includes restrictions such as mask mandates, lockdowns, and so on that control people's behavior. For example, an order of constraint involves the government exercising physical control over property or individuals or requiring an individual to perform a certain action or engage in a certain behavior. And in state law, such orders are issued by a local health department in response to a declared public health emergency, subject to a variety of restrictions in the new law. Do you know who's not authorized under state law to issue an order of constraint? That would be city mayors. We'll come back to this in just a few moments. Stay with us.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here for one of my sponsors. That would be the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George. If you are one of the lucky people who is relocating from someplace that's, I don't know, very controlling, I'm <laughs> not naming names, California, I am looking your direction. Well, congratulations on making your way to the Intermountain West. Now, now the fun part, finding a home. What a competitive real estate market you are finding right now. That means your financing's got to be in order. The moment you find the home of your dreams, you cannot dilly-dally around and expect to land the home that you want. That's why you need to reach out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You could always visit her office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George or call 435-703-4522. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the experience and the clout to help you get the loan you need without delay. So I'm sharing this uh, op-ed from Connor Boyack from Libertas Institute. I have a link to it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Mayor Mendenhall, Aaron Mendenhall, the mayor of Salt Lake City, issued an emergency declaration last week and then claimed the power to impose a K-12 mask mandate. In other words, all schools K-12 through in Salt Lake City are required to make their students mask up. And Connor is pointing out how she's on very shaky legal ground. He says Mayor Mendenhall's executive order cites two state laws as the basis for her supposed authority. The first is Section 53-2A-205, the same section that the legal framework summarized earlier, falling short. The law says the mayor can take any additional measures the mayor may consider necessary and actually spells out a list of examples clearly designed to respond to a temporary threat using government resources. But none of those examples pertain to dictating how people must behave because that would be an order of constraint. The second law cited for authority is 53-2A-209 in the same area of law as the previous section. Here the law says that the mayor's orders have the full force and effect of law during the state of emergency, making it clear that lawful orders by an executive during an emergency must be obeyed. But this section of law doesn't refer to which orders are allowed to be given, only that once orders are properly made, they are lawful. So you'd have to look elsewhere in the law for a list of what types of orders can be given. And Connor says, hint, for mayors, such orders do not include an order of constraint. A declaration of emergency is intended to provision government resources in order to ameliorate a disaster, not to restrict people's activities and to mandate certain behavior on their part. Mayor Mendenhall lacks legal authority for this order, as her own legal framework summary suggests. Even more oddly, her order says this, quote, Salt Lake City's personnel and resources are ordered and authorized to perform all functions authorized by federal, state, and local law to address this local emergency. Now, Connor says it's entirely unclear what this is even in reference to. What is the list of functions all government employees in Salt Lake City are now ordered to perform by every relevant law imaginable? 
He says this executive order is on very flimsy legal footing and vulnerable to a lawsuit. Should no suit occur, the order stands for 30 days, at which point, under state law, the city council must extend the order for it to continue. They're allowed to extend it for any length of time they desire, so long as their motion specifies a future date. And the legislature may also intervene to terminate this order if the city council does not. He says it remains to be seen if other elected officials will take action to provide a check and balance to this apparent violation of executive authority. Now, again, I will have links. Every article, every commentator that that you'll hear as a guest on this program, I have links to them in the show notes, which you can find for yourself at the BrianHydeShow.com. I publish show notes with every episode, and these are there not so that, uh, you know, it's not so you can you can read my scribblings. It's more so that you can follow the information and learn more about it, assuming that's what you want to do. This is totally up to you. Some people aren't content to just parrot whatever it is that they're hearing, and, and they want to really know for themselves. In other words, they want to go beyond just that superficial, well, I read a couple of articles, therefore I guess I'm kind of an expert on that sort of thing. But if you want to know more, there are always a great, there's a great wealth of information within these, uh, these various uh, articles and links. And again, I'm, very, I'm pretty cautious about the ones that I choose to share. Not because I know they're all perfectly you know, true and you know, there's nothing in there that's ever wrong. But I pick them because they're, they're usually from reliable people who aren't given to you know, partisan frothing at the mouth and so forth. Strongly recommend you take a look at them. And, and if you're interested... Follow them up on your own. So I wanted to come back to uh, the idea that how can you tell what's true? I was having this conversation with my wife over the weekend. You know, we get so many conflicting messages coming at us 24-7. How do you know who or what to believe? And, of course, that task doesn't exactly get easier when you see some, uh, like, social media platforms censoring what they call unpopular opinions or misinformation. Well, the answer to misinformation is more, not less, free speech. In fact, John Stossel has an excellent column on this. It's, uh, it's actually published on everything-voluntary.com, but he's got a great video that typically goes with these as well. John Stossel points out that YouTube has the right to shut down Rand Paul, who, by the way, was calling for resist, do not comply, just a couple of weeks ago. And what did YouTube do? Well, they just froze down, or they just froze, rather, Senator Rand Paul's YouTube channel. And, and John Stossel says, hey, they may have a right to do it, but that doesn't mean they should. He says, that's just wrong, small-minded, counterproductive. YouTube says Senator Paul violated their COVID-19 misinformation policy when he told an interviewer, most of the masks you get over the counter don't work. The virus particles are too small, and they go right on through. Now, if you've done any of your own homework, you know He didn't make that up. It says it right on the box, usually. Properly worn N95 masks are effective, but two peer-reviewed studies suggest that simple masks may not even work at all. But the studies aren't perfect. So he says Paul shouldn't use phrases like no value, but hey, give him a break. That's how people talk. It's good if he tells people not to trust cloth masks. Unfortunately, YouTube bans any video that contradicts pronouncements of the World Health Organization. 
In other words, that makes it impossible to criticize World Health Organization policy, even though one World Health Organization video says, wear a mask regardless of the distance from others. Now, the bureaucrats at the World Health Organization aren't perfect. They made many mistakes during COVID-19, but Stossel points out other health experts once rejected germ theory. They told people with ulcers, drink more milk. Such mistakes got corrected through criticism and debate, but now YouTube is forbidding that. Remember last month when Senator Paul got into a heated debate with Anthony Fauci over the National Institutes of Health and money that was given to Chinese scientists? Paul asked if it was used to do gain-of-function research, science that makes diseases deadlier, to learn more about them. He didn't suggest that the experiment the U.S. government funded created COVID-19. It didn't. We know that because of COVID-19's molecular structure. But gain-of-function is still risky science that deserves public discussion. The National Institute of Health did fund pre-pandemic experiments at Wuhan that combined coronaviruses to see if they could infect humans. Does Fauci respond and explain to us in a reasonable fashion why he thinks it's not gain of function? No, he calls me a liar, says Senator Paul in Stossel's new video. Now, Fauci did once write that if a pandemic did occur from such research, benefits outweigh the risks. Paul says that sounds like incredibly bad judgment. But the media attacked Paul's judgment instead, smirking at what they called his conspiracy theories. Social media companies even banned suggesting that COVID-19 was man-made. And they can just shut the conversation off. Senator Paul says, you know, there's a real danger to scientific and journalistic inquiry because of that. The advancement of knowledge requires skepticism, debate on both sides, but these monolithic social media companies are determining what the truth is. Well, Stossel says what they say the truth is. Maybe they banned the Chinese lab leak idea because former President Donald Trump expressed it, but Trump lying a lot doesn't make everything he says false. There was actual evidence of a lab leak. American diplomats warned of risky experiments at the Wuhan lab before the pandemic. Three workers there got COVID-19 symptoms before the disease appeared elsewhere. Only when that became public did Fauci say, well, it could have been a lab leak. Then President Joe Biden ordered an investigation and suddenly Facebook unbanned the theory. Its past censorship relied on sloppy, biased fact-checking groups like Science Feedback, which has smeared Stossel twice in the past. Look, the bottom line is, he hates, Stossel hates bias and censorship. And he says, the only way we learn is through more debate. Check out the link. You'll find it at thebrianhideshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This program is brought to you each weekday by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. 
and I do appreciate you being part of a growing audience of wrong thinkers. Now, for those who are wondering about the term, for some people, that's a, that's a new term. Uh, wrong think? Yes. Probably best understood in the uh, context of new speak, which if you haven't uh, dusted off your copy of 1984 by George Orwell, it uh, pretty much describes how we're expected to think and speak today. Anything that falls outside of the accepted norms of what, uh, I guess, those who know best would have us think, well, it constitutes wrong think, which is kind of a form of thought crime. Now, that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing for a long time. In fact, when, when I coined the, the phrase for this program, or at least the motto for this program, Revel in Wrong Think, I was doing that pretty much tongue-in-cheek, but I didn't realize how quickly that would become the reality of anything that questions the dominant narratives is going to uh, get you accused of, you know, some pretty nefarious stuff. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're thinking for yourself. And I will never insist that you have to agree with me. I'll present the best information that I can get my hands on, but it's up to you what you choose to do with it. And just so you know, um, my approach is is always, as it has been for a long time, to try to get people to think a little more deeply about uh, current events and things that are going on, issues and so forth. But my goal above that is to do it without bringing more anger or more fear to the equation. I mean, there's plenty of that to go around, right? I don't know if you caught any of the stuff that was going on in Portland over the weekend, but holy cow. How long before we have actual full-on fighting in the streets between Antifa and uh, the Proud Boys? I mean, they were shooting at each other yesterday, or at least somebody was shooting at each other. They were throwing homemade explosives, and they were spraying foul substances and pepper spray and beating each other. And There's some pretty ugly stuff going forward. And I'm, I'm not saying that like that's a good thing. It's just recognize that, yeah, it's going on. There are a lot of things that are out of our immediate control. And learning how to better frame our understanding of what's going on in, in, in the context of what can I do? See, the stuff that's going on in Portland, there's really nothing much that I can do about that. I'm not about to go join in because, uh, you know, one side's waving the flag and the other one is <laughs> dressed all in black and, you know, going around screaming dirty words. That doesn't work for me. So if I can't control those events, I'll tell you what I can control. That's how much of that kind of information I consume. And I have had to put myself on a pretty short leash here lately when it comes to what kind of media I'm willing to consume. If it's something that brings fear into my heart, I have to reevaluate whether I really need that. Because at, at stake here is, does it add value to my life? Does it better help me understand the world? In fact, I like to put it this way. Does it better help me understand who I am and what I stand for? Anybody can rail about what they're against. That's the easiest. The path of least resistance. That's, that's just too simple. You don't even have to be informed. All you have to do is assure people, I am against slavery. You know, and then sit back and soak up the accolades. Oh, that's so brave. Yeah. Especially since, you know, chattel slavery was eliminated a hundred and some odd years ago. And it's just, it's not been an issue since about 1865. But hey, you know, whatever makes you look virtuous and, you know, thanks for signaling that to us. The one place where we have absolute control is in how we choose to react to what's going on around us. Case in point. There's an excellent book out there 
If, if you're into reading, this is one I would recommend. I don't know if an audiobook version of this exists, but uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was held in a concentration camp during World War II. So pretty bad circumstances. But that book is a very powerful tool in illustrating how even in the worst circumstances possible, people could choose to react either positively or negatively. I mean, I look, I have no illusions. You put me in a concentration camp, I'm going to be one bummed out individual. But because of Dr. Frankel's book, there's a part of me that wants to believe that maybe I could react like some of the, the fellow inmates that, that he was in the camp with who understood it was, it was a very grave situation. They understood that this is about the worst that humanity can do to one another. But they chose to react in a positive way, meaning instead of becoming you know turned inward and bitter, God, where are you? Why did you turn your backs on us? They turned their attention to helping their fellow prisoners. And these were the people who survived. I guess that's that to me, that's the interesting part. The ones who made it through, the ones who had the mental resilience to survive the, the worst circumstances you can imagine were the ones who took that bit of control that they had over how they would react and turned it to how can I help the people around me? Now, look, you and I have nothing right now going on in our lives that's quite as challenging as, you know, trying to survive a death camp. At least I hope not. If you were, I don't know how you would be listening to this program. But beside the point, we do have things going on that are in, intensely challenging. And I don't just mean, you know, the COVID lockdowns and you know, the, the ongoing loss of our freedoms. Trust me, those are real problems. But there are also people out there who are, you know, watching, watching their spouse go through, you know, cancer treatment with, with maybe a very, um, you know, uh, not good prognosis. When you're going through difficult times, whether they're problems writ large or whether they're problems writ small, nothing will help keep your wits about you and keep your yourself grounded and centered in reality like trying to help the people around you. And I'm not saying this because oh, I'm a perfect example of that. I'm not, but I'm, I'm trying to become more that way. However, I have seen firsthand people who are like this. No matter how tough things get for them, they are still looking for ways to reach out and to serve the people around them. I consider my problems to be pretty small. And yeah, I've got, I've got problems. Don't be fooled about that perfect life you think you see on my social media channels. It's, it's great, but it's, it's not perfect. And there are times where I am in, you know, almost near despair from what I see going on. But when I find myself struggling the most, I have found this to be true and I recommend it to you. Find somebody that you can serve. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I can tell you it works. It will lift your spirits. It takes your focus off yourself. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's how God made us is, you know, if, if we stop focusing inward, oh, I'm so miserable and look how terrible my life is and start focusing on what can I do to lift people around me? 
You don't have time to feel sorry for yourself. I think back to, I guess it would be a year ago last March, when the lockdowns really started. Do you remember the the sense of, whoa, this is scary? As the grocery store shelves emptied out, you know, toilet paper became a precious commodity. And even finding, you know, a gallon of milk was tough. I remember the that intense feeling of uneasiness that, that everybody was feeling. And a friend of mine and a former neighbor of mine in Cedar City, Utah, had what I thought was such a productive approach. And he, he posted on social media and he said, look, I know the times are scary and that uh, people are wondering, what can I do? And so he says, look, if you're afraid to leave the house, if, if, if the thought of catching this, this illness has you scared and you're not sure and you don't want to leave the house, he says, if you need something, I want you to call me. If you need me to pick up a gallon of milk or run something across town for you, call me and I will do it for you. And people took him up on it. And I know for, for my own family, as, as we, we kind of borrowed from his example and started going to our neighbors around us and asking, is there anything you need? Do you need food? Do you need? And there were, there were people who didn't have, you know, they didn't have any meat in the house. They hadn't been to the grocery store that week. We happened to be in a position where we could help them. Some people needed diapers for their kids, which, you know, diapers were hard to find. That was kind of, kind of the whole toilet paper thing. And it was amazing how the fear suddenly came down to a manageable level. Probably one of the great lessons and one of the silver linings, if I could point to one, of this whole COVID pandemic. So file that away. Keep it in the back of your mind. If you find yourself really struggling, find somebody that you can help. Find somebody you can serve. And just watch and see if your spirits don't get a nice, needed lift. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, we are back. Thanks so much for being part of our growing audience. Please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Take a quick look at my sponsors. And I would ask you, if you don't need what they're offering at this moment, please reach out to them and let them know their message is getting to your ears. One of those sponsors is the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She understands what the lenders need. She knows what the borrowers need. And she is the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. Now, this is fantastic news for anybody home shopping within the state of Utah and particularly within southern Utah. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You'll find them at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George, where you can call Heather at 435-703-4522. There's also a nice link in my show notes where you could drop an email to her if you want to contact her that way. Just tell her thanks for sponsoring the program. So today's the day that uh, the FDA is expected to... I guess to to tell us that uh, the Pfizer vaccine, COVID vaccine, is approved. Kind of a weird thing here, and I, I realize I'm I'm straying into some some territory where there's a lot of thin ice. So let me skate around here for a little bit, and let's 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 see if I break through or not. It just seems so early. 
I know people said, oh, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that this vaccine was, you know, created so quickly. And look, it's out there. And I was asking, uh, asking a nurse that I interviewed last week, how long typically does it take to go through that uh, approval process? In other words, to, to have enough information, enough data to really know that a particular medicine or a particular drug is going to do what, to, what it purports to do. Ten years was the answer. How long has this vaccine been out? I don't even know if it's been a year yet. I know they've been working on it for the last year and a half, but wow, this is really, really quick. And if the FDA approves that uh, COVID uh, vaccine from Pfizer, I expect what's going to happen next is this is going to ramp up the effort to get more people to receive the shot. But there are still some very serious questions that remain. And, and it's just a little bit frightening, the, the turn in the tone of the conversation now about vaccinations. You know, it, it used to be, well, hey, it's a good thing, and, you know, you should probably get it. And, that's the, and then it came the bribes. Well, I'll give you a donut, and you can have a beer. Here's 50 bucks. And, and now it's, it's turned to you either get this, this vaccine or you are a grandma killer. <laughs> and and the the language is even getting more intense and moving towards we're we're pointing at the unvaccinated as if you know the source of all of our problems in society are the the unvaccinated i don't know if you if you wanted to get an inkling of what it must have been like for for jewish people as uh, the nazi party came into power you know it didn't all start at once they didn't just immediately all right we're in power all the jews you get on the train cars and off you go to the camps there was a very systematic system of demonizing, isolating, and making sure that the seed was planted in the public's mind that these are not even really people. They are insects, and the sooner we exterminate or get rid of that threat, the safer and better off we're all going to be. No, that's not quite where the uh, pro-COVID you know, people are today, but that's the direction that they're marching. You can hear it in the tone of some it's some of them, not all. And as as much as the people want to boil this down to, well, the only reason people are, you know, against vaccines is because they believe some conspiracy theory somebody put out there for them. I don't think that's the case. I think there are still very serious questions that remain. And the fact that uh, the FDA is expected to approve the Pfizer vaccine today, well, it still doesn't answer a lot of those questions. For instance, John Miltimore, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, has an excellent piece on what is the true vaccine breakthrough rate. In other words, why is it so many of the people who've already had the vaccine, including those who are fully vaccinated, why are they still getting COVID? That's, this is what they refer to as breakthrough cases. You would think the CDC would want to know, why is that? But by refusing to track most vaccine breakthrough cases, the CDC has come to this conclusion that, well, collecting and providing less public health information actually is in the public's interest. John Miltimore says over a recent 12-day period, the Milwaukee Brewers had nine players test positive for COVID-19. Now, while we don't know the vaccination status of all the players, the team disclosed that most of the players were vaccinated for COVID-19, including former MVP uh, Christian Yelich, who tested positive after experiencing mild flu-like symptoms. He did the right thing and reported those mild symptoms, Brewer GM David Stern said when it was announced. 
Yelich was headed to a dis, to the disabled list. We got him a test. The test returned positive, and we got a confirmation test, which also came back positive. Now, the Brewers aren't an isolated example of Major League Baseball teams experiencing a rash of vaccination breakthroughs. Teams across the league have experienced similar problems, including the New York Yankees, who say nine, they saw nine vaccinated players sidelined in May with COVID-19. This is the vaccine working, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky told ABC's George Stephanopoulos at the time, adding, well, those who tested positive didn't get a severe infection. Now, John Miltimore says Walensky's correct that data show vaccinated individuals are far less likely to die or become hospitalized with COVID-19 than unvaccinated individuals. And he has a link that will, will take you to that study. Yet breakthrough cases also appear to be more common than the CDC, the media, and public health officials suggest. For instance, CNN says, well, the breakthrough rate is less than 1%. While CBS News reports 99.7% of new COVID cases involve unvaccinated people. The Hill, meanwhile, agrees that CDC data show less than 1% of fully vaccinated people get COVID. But John Miltimore asked, how does this data mesh with anecdotal evidence that suggests many vaccinated people are contracting COVID? Now, he says, to be sure, it's not just Major League Baseball teams who are seeing spikes of COVID cases among vaccinated individuals. A recent outbreak in Provincetown, Massachusetts, found that the vast majority of COVID cases involved vaccinated individuals. Town manager Alex Morse told NBC, overwhelmingly, the affected individuals have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. And the outbreak, which was attributed to the rise of the Delta variant, was serious enough to prompt the CDC, which published a report on the outbreak, to reverse its recommendation that vaccinated individuals needn't wear masks indoors. But that wasn't all. The CDC study also found, the Washington Post noted, individuals carried as much virus in their noses as unvaccinated individuals. Dr. Walensky said high viral loads suggest an increased risk of transmission and raised concern that unlike with other variants, vaccinated people infected with Delta can transmit the virus. John Miltimore says all this data suggests two important things. First, COVID cases among vaccinated individuals appear to be higher than that less than 1% many claim. Two, vaccinated individuals appear quite capable of transmitting the virus to others, as Walensky states. Indeed, viral loads in nasal passages suggest they could transmit the virus at rates similar to unvaccinated carriers. Now, he reminds us, in the world today, we often hear, you know, the data is king, but the problem is data has been a total mess throughout the pandemic. COVID, the New York Times recently observed, has shown the CDC is utterly broken, which I would translate as utterly politicized. John Miltimore says, because of this, I decided to see how the CDC tracks and defines breakthrough cases. Now, there's much more to this article, and I have it linked in the show notes, and I'm going to encourage you, check this out for yourself. But the thing you need to know is that As of May 1st, the CDC transitioned from identifying and investigating uh, cases, those breakthrough cases. They only focus on the hospitalized cases. And John Miltimore says, you know, the fact that almost no one noticed the CDC simply stopped tracking and reporting the vast majority of vaccine breakthrough cases, any not involving hospitalization or death. He says, that's pretty whack. How is public health better served with less data? 
That's a fair question. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for sticking with me so far. <laughs> I, I worry that uh, despite my best efforts, sometimes I get really passionate about uh, some of the various topics. And I, I feel bad for beating the drum, especially on some of the COVID-19 things. But I want you to know, if you get the vaccine or if you wear a mask, I do not think less of you. I don't think you're a stupid, misinformed or evil person. But the place where I draw the line and the place where I'm trying to bring people's attention, particularly as it relates to, you know, these pandemic measures, is that no one has the right to force another person regarding medical decisions. Informed consent is a real thing. And, and this is uh, my, my deepest opposition to the COVID vaccine at this time is not because I know this vaccine doesn't work and it's putting nanobots in your blood and it's you know part of a mass extermination event. I don't know that. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the theories. And I, I just, I don't know. What I do know is that there is an unprecedented amount of pressure being brought on those who have not yet received the vaccine. And it is so intense. And people are so open about the idea of, well, you know what we ought to do is we ought to, we ought to force these people out of society, into the ghetto, onto the cattle cars, into the camps where we can protect them from themselves. No, there's, there's language like that going around. And way too many people are nodding thoughtfully. Yeah, 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 they're the, they're the danger. If your idea is so good that it has to be enforced at the point of a gun or it has to be made compulsory, it's not a good idea. And, of course, playing fast and loose with data like we were covering in the, the last segment, that hasn't helped either. So, you know, if, if you're looking for a reason to pigeonhole me, looking for a reason to dismiss what I'm saying, well, you're just an anti-vaxxer. Not necessarily. If a person wants to take the vax and they've, they've done their homework and they weighed the risks and said, this is in my interest. And for some people, especially those with the real comorbidities, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, that may be the better way to go. But nobody has the right to force other people into doing something against their will. Look at how many people are in danger of losing their jobs right now. There's a public school, and shoot, I can't remember the name of the university. There's just two universities now, or two colleges within the last week, who've become very heavy-handed in how they do this. And the latest one that I heard of, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't have this at my fingertips, so this is just going to be hearsay, is disenrolling students who cannot show proof that they've been vaccinated. We don't even want you at our school. Now, if it was a private school, that would be one thing, right? This is a public university, though. And the other school, which, again, I don't know if it's private or if it's a public one, but uh, yeah, 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 we'll let the vaccinated students stay, but they have to be isolated. In other words, they're pretty much subject to house arrest, you know, to protect everybody. They've got to be masked. They've got to be segregated from, you know, the normal society who's had the, the shot. Oh, but they can't have Internet. See how see how cool that is, how, how subtly we can just, you know, I mean, 
I'm not saying that these students couldn't get by, you know, without Internet, but how easy would your life be if Internet suddenly was gone? Hopefully you can see my point here. And this is stuff that's being suggested and in some cases being implemented. You want to see a really bad example of of where it leads? Look at Australia. Look at a country under military lockdown right now. That's the future we are marching towards, and it is not a good thing. So I have the deepest respect for those voices of dissent who are saying, I won't do it. I won't comply. And it's going to be curious to see where this leads in the days ahead. You know, these aren't people who have some kind of a death wish. They aren't, you know, Trumpers out there. You just, you know, Trump said to do this. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but Trump speaking to a crowd in Alabama actually urged people to get vaccinated. And a very supportive crowd booed him for suggesting such a thing. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you think you know more than a doctor? You think you are smarter than a doctor? You think you have more intelligence than a doctor? And my answer is, when it comes to my own health and the decisions about what to do regarding my body, I damn sure do know more than that doctor. Now, that doctor can make recommendations for me. And I can weigh those recommendations. But if I decide it's not in my interest... My personal autonomy should be absolute. Now, usually this is where the knee-jerk reaction is, well, but what if, what if you're infected? Okay, what if? Where's the proof? Well, you don't know if you're infected. Right. That's how deadly this disease is. People don't even know that they have. They have to go get tested to find out if they have it, for many of them. And for those who do, guess what? The ones who test positive, the ones who actually get it, 99.7% of them survive it. Do you not see the the disconnect here? Nobody has the right to force those decisions on somebody else. So don't get caught up in all the, you know, the don't don't punch the tar baby of, you know, vaccines or, you know, just a plot by the New World Order to poison everybody. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that someone is trying to force people into decisions they don't want to make, and that's unacceptable. And it's so hard to have a productive conversation today as a result of this. And I believe a lot of that is because it's fear-driven. Is it possible that we can discuss anything of importance without bringing more anger to the situation? I found a great piece on the, the growing rage of the uninformed. I don't know who the author is. M. Hadfield is credited in the byline. This is from TrialSiteNews.com. But I thought this was an interesting take. Says in a New York Times op-ed article this week, well-respected economist Paul Krugman pens what he termed the quiet rage of the responsible. Now, his rage, just like that of many progressives in the media, is neither quiet nor based on facts and succumbs to some breakdowns in logic that a man of his stature and training should know better than to commit. The article says we all want COVID-19 to end, and for many, the summer months and the promise of widely available, effective, and safe vaccines was the light at the end of the tunnel we'd been waiting for. Progressives, in particular, rushed to get inoculated at the first available opportunity, many of them posting images of the happy event on social media with statements like, fully vaxxed, who wants to hang out? And what has become increasingly obvious as the summer has progressed is that hope of a return to normalcy is rapidly sliding away just about as fast as Dr. Anthony Fauci's faltering credibility. So why the rage? 
Well, the article says Americans are a stubborn bunch, and it should not be a surprise that many people would hesitate to accept what amounts to an inadequately tested experimental vaccine rushed into production by a handful of profit-motivated companies and boosted by an extremely well-funded and aggressive marketing campaign of fear-mongering. The U.S. government has spent over a billion dollars trying to convince us to get vaccinated. The message is get vaccinated, but the unfortunate implementation of it is be afraid. Fear sells and the media has gleefully jumped on this financial free-for-all with ever more outrageous fear-driven messages. The word variant has entered the common lexicon, repeated in casual talk millions of times across the nation. And the media has bolstered it with vacuous titles like Delta on steroids or even the disgusting Doomsday variant. Have they no shame? And yet it has certainly worked, not to get everyone vaccinated, but to scare the hell out of them. People are indeed terrified. This approach doesn't serve the common good, but rather contributes to ever-intensifying divisiveness. We've been told by everyone from President Biden on down to the CDC director, Walensky, that breakthrough infections are rare, but they're not. We've been told this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not. And most disturbingly and illogically, talking to you, Mr. Krugman, that the reason we're all not having dinner parties right now is that the unvaccinated have let the rest of us responsible people down, that they alone are responsible for the emergence of Delta and the perpetuation of this awful pandemic. No wonder progressives are feeling enraged. And here the author says, you know, I also have rage, Mr. Krugman. I'm aggravated by my government telling me to be afraid when part of their job is to keep people calm. I'm tired of so-called fact-checkers conducting coordinated smear campaigns against highly credentialed experts that have dedicated their lives to helping others and have done nothing more than question the mainstream narrative espoused by political operatives like the CDC's Walensky and the compromised Dr. Fauci. The attempt at eradicating, eradicating any scientific debate and dissension is maddening. I'm enraged that thousands of small business owners have lost their lives' work and their livelihoods at the illogical instructions of detached bureaucrats more interested in political theater than science. Since when does a virus not infect you when you are seated, but only when you enter or leave a restaurant? Or you get up to use the restroom? Yet we're all subjected to this absurdity every time we go out to dinner. Restaurant owners are so grateful to be allowed to finally open their doors, they willingly comply with these instructions, no matter how nonsensical they are to any thinking human being. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. Again, it's the rage of the informed. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. One of my sponsors is lifesavingfood.com. In fact, there's a link right there on the show notes page for today's show notes. You can just click on it and it will take you directly to the website where you can check things out for yourself. Food storage can be a really daunting thing for some people because we kind of get it in our heads. Well, I got to have a year's supply. We better get it all at once. That's like, you know, trying to eat an elephant all in one bite. The good news is lifesavingfood.com has many different packages from, you know, smaller individual packages. This is one I thought was really cool. It's 100 bucks. 
It is a roll-top dry bag with 60 individual servings of various foods. I think there's about eight different foods. But these have a 25-year shelf life. Why the roll-top dry bag? Well, I don't know. Word on the street is that uh, particularly southern Utah has received an awful lot of rain and flooding central Utah as well. So my listeners in these areas might want to consider, you know, if you needed something, you could grab and go. Something that was protected from, you know, say unexpected flooding. I don't know. That seems like a pretty good investment of 100 bucks. And here's the best part. You mention my name at checkout, coupon code HYDE. They'll take 10% off, your, off the purchase price for you. All right. Back to the article, The Growing Rage of the Uninformed. This is from TrialSiteNews.com. And the author says, I am enraged that the U.S. government spent $66 million over 20 years on research grants for gain-of-function experiments that should never have been allowed to take place. Dr. Fauci oversaw the distribution of some of these funds, including cynically moving the research to China when it was outlawed by the Obama administration, as if that would make it less risky to humanity. The author says, I'm enraged that Dr. Fauci plays with words when he's questioned by senators, making statements like, this is not gain of function, when he knows very well that dangerous viruses were deliberately modified to make them transmissible in humans. Who cares what it's called, Dr. Fauci? That's hardly the salient point when the world has been devastated by this awful work you were involved in. He says, I'm engaged, I'm enraged rather that friends of mine seem to think it's okay to shame people into taking what by definition is still an investigational vaccine as defined by Pfizer itself. That, that what I put, choose to put in my body is anybody's business but my own. It's like one unreported side effect of these vaccines is to turn you into a total butt. Mind your own business. I'm not telling you what to do with your body. He says, I'm enraged that there have been over 13,000 deaths reported to the CDC's own adverse event reporting database. But that any objective analysis of this data is dismissed by the media and others is not conclusive or no evidence of being causal. Since when do hundreds of children and otherwise healthy adults die in their sleep within days of receiving an investigational product? Since when do young people experience heart problems and any number of other disturbing maladies where there were none before? In fact, he says, let's not even call it a vaccine. A vaccine protects you from getting sick pretty much 100% of the time. We're not even a year into this and fully vaccinated people are getting sick in their thousands, many of them dying on ventilators. We've moved from one shot to a second. We're already handing out booster shots all within 12 months. The so-called vaccine is not working as advertised, and it's illogical to blame the unvaccinated. Look at the data out of Israel, where over 78% of the people over age 12 are fully vaccinated, and they're now experiencing a full-on rebirth of COVID as strong as ever. He says, I'm livid that in the quest to get high overall vaccination rates, the government has turned to children and teens as easy targets to bolster the numbers, even though they are in the lowest risk cohort for COVID. He says, my daughter got sick with COVID and recovered within days and now has the natural immunity of the body. She does not need this vaccine with no long-term safety testing forced upon her young body. Technically, the clinical trial isn't even done for the existing emergency youth-authorized vaccines, although Pfizer and the government are now in a rush to secure formal approval. And again, that's, that's taking place today. 
but I'm not sure I'm ready to risk my daughter's health without more long-term data. Is that unreasonable of a father? Yet the mindless bureaucrats that govern our school districts are dutifully falling into line around school vaccine mandates. How am I to explain to my daughter that what she hears on the news is biased? That her friend's parents are not critical thinkers and that she can't attend school events because I have concerns about the health of her body in coming years were she, her, were she to subject herself to this unprecedented clinical trial. I don't test other experimental drugs on her. Why would I agree to this one? Which brings us to the question, so where do we go from here? It should be clear to all by now that COVID is not going to go away. Indeed, there are rational, science-based arguments from extremely credible experts that the vaccination campaign itself is causing the variants to arise. So-called escape variants that become ever more equipped to infect, spread, and thrive among the vaccinated populace. Now, of course, there's no absolute proof one way or the other. But he says, I don't believe this anger and finger pointing is helpful to our society or our collective mental health. Now, this is going to tick some people off this next line, but I'm going to share it anyway. We need to learn to live with this virus. How can that be? Well, because that's what we've done before with other viruses. This is not, you know, the doomsday virus that, that some have made it out to be. Viruses run their course until herd immunity kicks in. And what you do is you try to protect the most vulnerable. But a virus is going to do what it's going to do. It doesn't care whatever you wrote on paper. Well, see, now we've got this policy. That virus will not be able to spread. It doesn't care. And this can be seen by the fact that places that lock down hard, like New York City, found that they still had an intense amount of transmission of the virus, especially last year. And most people got it at home. I know, we've kind of been conditioned since about, what, age five? To believe government will solve whatever problem. Viruses don't care who's in charge. Government can help, by the way. Don't think that I'm suggesting there's nothing that they can do either. What they can do is give us real good data. I mean real, credible data. And then let us make up our minds. Let us weigh the risks. What we will do for ourselves. You realize most people who were wearing masks were doing so before the mandates kicked in. We're not sheep. The author here says we need to look after our health with common sense solutions that lower our risk of serious illness and death. We need to address obesity, which dramatically raises our risk profiles. We need to embrace the proven treatment capabilities of repurposed drugs with high safety profiles like ivermectin and others that have been tested over decades of use. But most importantly, he says our leaders need to stop making up facts to support their agendas and deliver honest information to the public. And they need to stop this disgusting fear-mongering. Its toll on our mental health is becoming intolerable. We need to get out of the way of small business people and let them rebuild the economy and their livelihoods. At this point, we all know what COVID is and what its risks are. If we don't feel safe in a restaurant or a gym, we won't go. We don't need the government stepping on the necks of business owners who choose to be open to customers. And I really like this last part. Most of all, we need to stop with the finger-pointing and the self-righteous blame and start to love and appreciate one another again. We need to heal this country and the world from the devastation that has occurred. 
So at the root of that problem, that last one that's pointed out, the finger pointing of the self-righteous blame, I believe most of that stems from a desire to control others. Now, as a parent, when your kid is misbehaving, I know you want to get them back under control. Stop that tantrum. Everybody in the grocery store is staring at us. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. But by the time you reach adulthood, it's time to recognize that there are boundaries. And I, I think the most simple appeal is simply, is your life your own or not? When you woke up this morning, did you wake up with the idea that, hey, I'm okay with somebody holding a gun to my head and telling me, do this or do that. Go here or go there. Most people, reasonable people, would say, no, of course not. Fearful people might say, well, you know, if I, if I was sick or something, maybe that's something they needed to do. The bottom line is, controlling other people is an immoral act. The desire to control other people is immoral. There's actually a name for it. I mean, this has been understood for a long time. It's called libido dominandi. Lust for control. Now, here's the kicker. You can't control other people who are consumed with that lust to exert their influence on everybody around them. You can't do it. But you know what you can do? Not be that person. Makes me think of the uh, comment made by Alexander Solzhenitsyn talking about the big lie His take was, hey, let the lie come into the world, even let it prevail, but not through me. That's where you and I have power, and that's where we need to be exercising our influence strongly. This is The Brian Hyde Show.